from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Happy Monday. Well, coming up, House Republicans are gathered in Florida for a planning retreat. And one of the topics dominating the discussion is the instability in the banking system. Why are banks in trouble? Well, it's a direct correlation to inflation. As the economist Milton Friedman has always told us, that there's only one place inflation can be created, government spending. That was House Speaker Kevin McCarthy yesterday at the uh, press conference being held at the retreat. We'll talk with Michigan Congressman Bill Huizenga, a member of the House Financial Services from the retreat in just a moment. And believe it or not, the president and his party do not see government expansion and spending as the problem. They actually want more. He said he wants to put money into universal child care and lifting children out of poverty. And he's already delivered. He's delivered the biggest climate package in the history of the world. So he's got a lot that he's gotten done. He's got a lot that he's doing. We don't agree on everything, but boy, I'm glad he's president. That was uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren on Meet the Press yesterday. Virginia Congressman Bob Good, a driving force in the House Freedom Caucus, joins us to discuss options that are on the table for Republicans to rein in the out-of-control government spending, which threatens the entire U.S. economy. Also, Alabama Senator Coach Tommy Tuberville is here to enlist you in the fight for the unborn. And I will continue to object to any nominees as long as this illegal new abortion policy is in place. I'm holding the military accountable. Others are holding our national security hostage by forcing their agenda where it doesn't belong. That was Senator Tuberville on the Senate floor earlier this month. He joins us later here on Washington Watch. And the Biden administration is working to roll back religious liberty protections on college campuses. And we need your help. FRC's Travis Weber is here later to tell you how. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to miss anything, you can find it all there later at TonyPerkins.com, along with resources and contact information for our guest. Our word for today comes from Jeremiah 51, verses 5 and 6. For Israel and Judah have not been forsaken by their God, the Lord of hosts, but the land of the Chaldeans is full of guilt against the Holy One of Israel. Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. Well, just as judgment came upon Babylon, so it's coming upon the entire world, which Babylon actually represents. But we know. God will not forsake his children. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord have no reason to worry. We need to flee Babylon spiritually, however, the ways of the world, and do as Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. To join us in our journey through the Bible, go to TonyPerkins.com. The U.S. Federal Reserve announced it is working with other central banks to make dollars available in order to limit cash flow concerns in the global financial market. The central banks collaborating include those of Canada, England, Japan, Switzerland, and the European Central Bank. But despite the recent collapse of the two prominent of two prominent U.S. banks, the Fed is still expected to raise interest rates again this week part of its ongoing effort to curb the inflation created by the spending policies of the Biden administration. You know, what can we make of these developments and how concerned are 
members of Congress about the issues transpiring in the banking industry. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Bill Huizenga. He's a, a member of the House Financial Services Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Michigan. Congressman, uh, welcome back to the program. Tony, good to be with you. Sorry, this is less than ideal in an empty ballroom uh, at our uh, at our issues retreat, but uh, this is important stuff, and I'm happy to be able to join you. Well, Bill, I appreciate you stepping out of the meetings to uh, to join us. So before we jump into the banking situation, give us uh, kind of an overview of what House Republicans are discussing in Orlando this week. Yeah, you know, the main thing is uh, translating the uh, the pledge to America that we had put together leading into this election uh, with actions now. And I think uh, people have been uh, been uh, pretty pleased with the direction that we have been going, maybe a little frustrated with the speed of this. But they I, I just ask for a little patience. You know, we have to uh, walk before we run, before we sprint here. And uh, there's uh, so many different uh, directions that this can go from the Biden family themselves to the Securities and Exchange Commission and other regulatory agencies. Certainly this banking uh, issue has uh, has dramatically uh, altered sort of the timelines of what we had planned out for for a few things. Uh, But, you know, uh, have faith. Jim Jordan's still doing his work. Jamie Comer's still doing his work. Uh, on our financial services committee, we're still doing our work. I also have just joined the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, we just had the first hearing on the uh, on the departure uh, abandonment, frankly, of uh, of Afghanistan and how that went. That was uh, that was in our committee a couple of weeks ago. So lots of things happening while we're in Washington right now. It's uh, how do we strategize and talk about where we are going? Debt ceiling is certainly one of those main issues uh, among the uh, among the others. Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing how one event can kind of upset the entire apple cart, shift focus to address a crisis, because it seems like under this administration, there's one crisis after another. And yeah, obviously, sadly. the banking the banking industry being one right now. But I, I, I want to go back to something before we get to that, that you mentioned. My observation, uh, Congressman Heisinger, and, and I've been doing this about 20 years, is that coming out of this election of Kevin McCarthy as speaker, and it was, a, you know, people were moaning, wringing their hands about it. And I was, you know, I thought, hey, this is the process. Let it work. I actually continue to see what appears to be strong unity among Republicans. Like you said, maybe not moving as fast as some would like and as, as their supporters would like. But I have to tell you, I think Kevin McCarthy is keeping his eye on the ball and leading the Republicans forward. Uh, he absolutely is. I think our entire leadership team uh, has done a very good job with that. And uh, frankly, Tony, uh, here's what had happened. Over four years of being in the minority, um, it was easy to kind of hit that no button, right? You know, that's, uh, we, were, we were all opposed to a lot of the direction that uh, this was going. But what we didn't have is the constructive internal discussions that we needed to have. And uh, and frankly, half of our conference, literally half, has never served in the majority now. So that means uh, they've never known what it's like to be in the majority. And uh, what uh, what I observed myself was you had people who used to get together and talk about issues kind of had quit doing that. Uh, others who never even thought they could get in a room to talk about uh, some of these issues uh, and had never attempted to were suddenly forced into a situation and into that proverbial and sometimes actual room together to say, hey, folks, we got to hammer this out. 
what direction are we going to go? Because if we don't, we are literally effectively handing over the majority back to the Democrats. And I don't think any of us want to go that direction. And so while it was difficult, uh, that 15 votes over seven days was uh, was a tough kind of period. Ultimately, I think we have emerged from it stronger mm-hmm. and in a better spot than certainly a lot of people expected. Uh, and that way more better than or way more uh, advantageous than what the media thought or, or the Democrats that are on the other side of the aisle thought. That, that's my observation uh, precisely. So let's let's go down to those issues. Let's go to the financial issues uh, top of mind yeah. with what's happening in the banking industry. That's one of your committees. You sit uh, on that. Give us the latest. What, what's the sense there in uh, Orlando? Yeah, and actually, I, I uh, was. Uh, Part of a lot of internal conversations that we've had over the last number of days. Uh, and I want to say this first and foremost, Tony, uh, the, the banking system here in the United States is safe. Uh, it is. Uh, there's there's some hiccups, but between the FDIC and some of the other provisions that have been put in place, uh, it's stable. Now, what I'm hearing from some of my lo- more local and regional banks is that they're frustrated with sort of the seemingly two-tier system of bank regulation. And that's something that we are certainly getting at and, uh, and and need to deal with. But first and foremost, we need to make sure people understand their money is going to be safe. Now, what that means is um, we have some decisions to make. Uh, do we do a temporary increase of that FDIC insurance, for example? And this would be, if, you know, this would affect a lot of small businesses, certainly seasonal businesses. Think of yourself if you're a small landscaper. And, uh, you know, right about now in uh, in February and March, uh, you might not have a whole lot of cash on hand. But in September and October, you might have a lot of cash on hand, and that would exceed that two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollar insured uh, level. So how do how do we deal with those kinds of situations? Um, do we do something temporary? If we did that, we would literally have to go in and have a vote by the House, the Senate and signed into law by the president. Uh, Because right now, what the law says is that you can go on a bank by bank or case by case basis and uh, and do what they declared with uh, with SVB, that Silicon Valley Bank, and said, okay, we're going to cover everyone's uh, deposits. Uh, Now, having said that, and we want to make sure that we've got the, uh, the, the the sort of those jitters under under control, we have some really tough questions that we need to ask. And was SVB treated differently because of who was behind it or who maybe deposited their money there. Um, why did uh, BlackRock, of all people, who got brought in to do an analysis, they raised red flags. It was ignored by the bank and the, and the, uh, and the board. Um, the Federal Reserve out of San Francisco raised red flags. It was ignored, but they didn't take the next step. They didn't do anything about it. So we have to ask the regulators what their role in this in addition to mismanagement of the bank. So you think it's isolated in those particular banks or is this more of widespread? um, I mean, we look at the ESG, the woke policies that are there in the banking industry. We have the the obviously this uh, almost perfect storm where you've got money that has driven up interest rates uh, or yeah. inflation, and then you've got interest rates going up by the Fed. So is it a combination of all these factors, and how do we work our way out of this? Uh, yeah, that that's the magic question, and uh, we have to work our way out of it step by step. There is no magic wand that we're going to be able to, uh, uh, to to wave here and fix it all. 
But those issues that you brought up certainly are part of it. In SVB's particular situation, they took an excess amount of cash, put it them in long-term treasuries, which at the time were yielding a higher interest rate than short-term treasuries, except we have something called the inverted yield curve right now, where uh, short-term is actually returning higher interest rates than long-term bonds. And uh, they uh, the, having these hold-to-maturity bonds suddenly put a cash strap on them, and, and they found themselves uh, in a in a hyperinflationary uh, situation where you've got the Fed dramatically increasing interest rates, where they got caught behind that curve and uh, and they couldn't cover it up. They couldn't make it up by selling assets. Uh, so the, uh, the 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 regulators had to step in. Now the question really is is could they and should they have avoided this by getting involved earlier and really looking at that interest rate exposure that they had? And to answer that that. Part of that question, yes, there are a number of other banks that have similar situations, but none that we've really seen with as much exposure as SVB had. All right. Uh, Congressman uh, Bill Heising, again, I want to thank you for stepping out of the uh, issues retreat and uh, talking with us today. Always good to see you. It's good to see you, too, Tony. I appreciate it and uh, keep up the great work. All right. Thanks so much. Bill Heisinger from Michigan. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. Coming up. More Washington Watch after the break. We're going to be joined by Congressman Bob Good, who's down in Orlando as well. Um, the Biden administration is saying, well, more spending, of course, more spending. But isn't that going to make the situation worse? And what can Republicans do to rein in this spending? That's our conversation next. Congressman Bob Good, don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Monday. Hope you had a good weekend. All right, more government money pumped into the economy means more inflation, which means higher interest rates to cool off the economy, which is what has destabilized the banking system. But as I mentioned at the top of the program, many in the president's party, the president included, want to spend even more government money. Here's a clip. He said he wants to put money into universal child care and lifting children out of poverty. And he's already delivered. He's delivered the biggest climate package in the history of the world. So he's got a lot that he's gotten done. He's got a lot that he's doing. We don't agree on everything, but boy, I'm glad he's president. Again, that was Senator Elizabeth Warren yesterday on Meet the Press. Although the banking crisis dominates both the news and the conversations at the Republican retreat, other important legislative items are on the agenda as well. These include the debt ceiling debate, government funding concerns, and ongoing aid to Ukraine. Well, this upcoming debate over the debt ceiling, how might that be used to get spending under control? Joining me now to discuss this and more, Congressman Bob Good. He serves on the House Education and Labor Committee. And the House Budget Committee represents the 5th Congressional District of Virginia. Congressman Good, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hello, Tony. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me again. Well, I appreciate you uh, stepping out of the retreat with, uh, with your colleagues down there in uh, Orlando to join us. Uh, you heard the clip I played of Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Warren. It seems the president's party only wants to add fuel to the fire when it comes to our current situation with the economy and banking. Yes, Tony, it's really incredible that at an unprecedented level of national debt we haven't seen since World War II, so unprecedented out of outside of the, you know, the worst war in the history of the world, uh, we are at the president responding to $32 trillion in national debt with a record $6.9 trillion budget proposal proposing to run a record $2 trillion deficit, uh, and the $6.9 trillion represents about $20,000 per American citizen, about $80,000, obviously, for a household of four. And for what? How many Americans would vote for their federal government to give them an IOU to spend 20, to borrow and spend, quite frankly, $20,000 on their behalf? And Tony, yesterday, uh, here down at the Republican conference that you were referencing, uh, we were having a discussion on the threat of China and the strength of our military and that sort of thing. But we are 
poorly equipped, ill-equipped to uh, encounter even a military defense crisis like we did uh, in the, during the Civil War or World War II or what have you. When, when, you're, when you enter the crisis, uh, the, the national threat, the security threat, with that kind of debt, uh, how are you able to fund a ramp up in a war machine if we were ever to face a military conflict like that, let alone our inability to face a financial crisis like we did 15 years ago when right. you come in with this level of national debt spending? So that uh, my conversations that I've been having is that members understand this and there's a sense of urgency to address this and you look at some of the uh, intersections where you're going to have leverage to do that, the debt ceiling being one of them. D- do you see that there's a-, a coalescing of Republicans in the House to say, hey, we got to draw a line? I, I do, Tony. I think we're largely united about uh, the goals or the objectives. You know, what exactly that looks like and what are the best strategies or the best ways to achieve it, you know, are obviously that's part of what we're debating here. The good news, I can tell you, is that the narrative and the conversation has shifted not to whether or not we will cut spending, but how much spending we will cut and how we will cut it and how we'll attack it and what will that look like? How far are we willing to go as a conference? Will we rise to the moment? You know, I was challenging my colleagues uh, just this morning that, you know, we let's give our speaker the opportunity to be a, hispor- a historic transformational speaker that is the first speaker in modern times to really lead the House of Representatives to make cuts, to put us on meaningful cuts, to put us on a path to fiscal responsibility, uh, and to utilize the debt ceiling uh, situation as leverage to force meaningful cuts in year one, year two of this of this new Congress. Is there another point that you would have as much leverage as you would on the debt ceiling? I don't think so. And uh, I think that in my view, would be that we would get two bites of the apple, if you will, that we will pass something out of the House with significant cuts in the range of, I would suggest, a trillion dollars. There's a trillion dollars in low-hanging fruit, if you will, just rescinding the student loan uh, transfer scheme, canceling the hiring of 87,000 new IRS agents, uh, attack, you know, rescinding the about a hundred billion dollars of uh, unallocated, unspent COVID funds, uh, cu- going back to to uh, pre-COVID spending right. and, and on I the th- non-defense. I think, Bob, that's not, that's an important point to make. Is that what you're talking about? Is just returning the budget to where it was prior to COVID, when all of this additional debt spending was was poured into the economy, which has obviously given us the problem we've had. But we're not talking about drastic cuts. We're just talking about returning to where we were. That's right. And at that spending level today, pre-COVID, we'd actually be realizing a surplus because of the extra revenue coming in from the Trump tax cuts. But think about that. Pre-COVID, that was the largest spending we'd ever seen in the history of our country. We already had a bloated government, a reckless amount of spending going on pre-COVID, and then we've just taken it to another level since COVID. So exactly on the non-defense discretionary spending, we want to take that back to pre-COVID. That would be meaningful cuts, historic cuts in modern times. Then what I what I think we need to do is at the end of the year, when we get back, when the budget uh, funding, the government funding runs out from the omnibus spending bill at the end of last year, then we negotiate yeah. more cuts going into an election year. Boy, that's good. Uh, but just I want to make clear again, because, you know, the, when you come out and say that the president and others are going to say you want to cut Social Security, you want to cut Medicare, that's not on the table here. 
Yeah, Republicans are united in saying we've got to get our fiscal house in order and the reckless spending and the spending on the climate, environmentalism, extremist stuff, and the DEI, equity, diverse equity inclusion spending, uh, and the spending on things that are weakening our military, and the spending on a, the oppressive nature of our government that's actually harming its citizens, again, IRS. We, we, ought to, we ought to rescind any spending for this a new FBI headquarters. Why would we spend more right. money on the FBI to give a new headquarters building? Let's get our fiscal house in order. Then let's find uh, – in the next Congress, let's find a bipartisan solution to preserve and protect Social Security and Medicare for future right. generations. Bob Good, always great to talk with you again. Thanks for taking time to uh, step out and talk with us today. Thank you, Tony. Great to be with you. All right, Congressman Bob Good of Virginia. All right, coming up, once again, the Biden administration is looking to dismantle religious liberty protections, this time on college campuses. That's our conversation after the break. Stick with us. Don't go away. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. To Washington Watch, I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Monday. The Biden administration is once again moving to dismantle federal regulations that uphold religious liberty. Now, this time it's on college campuses. Last month, the Department of Education issued a notice of proposed rulemaking about its plan to rescind what is called the Religious Liberty and Free Inquiry Final Rule. This Trump-era regulation mandates that universities that accept public grants cannot cannot deny funding to religious student groups. They have to treat the religious groups just like any other group. So what's the justification for rolling back religious freedom protections on college campuses? And what could be the result 
of this rule change? And more importantly, what can you do to stop it? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Travis, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. All right, so explain the existing regulation that was put in place during the Trump administration and why it's needed. Yeah, so the, the current regulation basically says that uh, colleges um, <clears throat> have to comply with the First Amendment in order to receive federal grants. And the way it does this, uh, the way the, the Trump era rule did this was um, the courts would 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 uh, be basically be the arbiters of figuring these these matters out, the question of compliance, if lawsuits were brought around the First Amendment, and only when there was a final judgment uh, issued by the courts at some level that the university was not in compliance with the First Amendment would the school be cut off. And so, really, the, the, the rule just looked to the courts um, and, and would wait, you know, would wait until litigation played out as a, as a determiner of whether the schools were in compliance. Um, and, the, and the Biden administration wants to roll that back uh, for, you know, purposes that it will not perhaps state on the face of its notice of approvals rulemaking. But uh, we are very concerned that this would cause um, this is going to cause a rollback of religious freedom protections. Now, Democratic regulators in the Biden administration say that the rule is not necessary to protect the First Amendment, and here's the justification they use for that. First, they say it's not a problem, but then secondly, they say, well, if the students encounter a problem, they can simply go to the courts and they can sue. You know, that sounds easy, but it's not. You're an attorney. You know how difficult that is. The, the burden then shifts to the students and not the university. Yeah, well, and the, and the interesting thing about this is it's almost like you know, I'm reading through the, the Biden administration's notice of proposed rulemaking and the concerns that they are stating are leading them to reconsider this. And it doesn't even really make sense because the current rule looks to the courts. The Trump era rule looks to the courts. And so, you know, the Biden administration, Ed, Department of Education is coming in now and saying we're concerned that this uh, is going to cause a lack of clarity for universities, increase litigation costs. These are concerns that if they were truly concerns, we would see things being dealt with much differently in other areas. Um, you know, the administration is using a set of concerns here to reverse a Trump era rule. And I'm not really sure, nor should observers of this process be sure that their, their concerns they are stating are the actual concerns here. What they want, they want to do is reverse a Trump era rule that protected religious freedom. And Tony, the, they're, so they're dealing with the, the court's question that we've been discussing in the current revision. The part about uh, religious groups being able to exercise their faith is being dealt with in another uh, section of rulemaking that the Biden administration will, will uh, um, proceed with, not even this current process. So they're certainly dismantling what had been in place, and, and their, their stated justifications really just don't hold a lot of water here and don't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think, further hostility toward religious exercise, the free exercise of religion on college campuses. It's not like they don't already dominate when it comes to the classroom and the curriculum and the agenda that the left is pushing. This will make it more difficult for students of faith to simply exercise as a, you know, an extracurricular group that wants to meet on college campuses and uh, be treated the same. So let's uh, let's talk, uh, Travis, for just got a couple minutes left. 
what can folks do to weigh in? This is a rulemaking process, which means citizens can speak into this. How can they do that? Yeah, so the notice and comment period is open now. It closes on March 24th, so later this week. And we have an easy way that people can do that. Uh, it's at frcaction.org slash ed. So that's frcaction.org slash ed. And uh, that will take you to a, an explanation of what's happening here, some ideas for what you can present to the Biden administration for why you oppose this rollback of a rule that, that would protect religious freedom. We need to make our voices heard because they're going to look at what is provided, but they're also going to look at the number of concerned citizens commenting. And this is our opportunity to play a part in the process. And it is what we can do to take action. There are things we, we can't control, but this is one, uh, you letting the Biden administration know what you think of this, which, which you can do at that link I mentioned. Um, that is a way that we can play a part in the process. And so we're welcoming everyone to take part in that. We're also going to be submitting our own comment on this from Family Research Council and uh, do what we can to let the Biden administration know that this is not an acceptable approach when it comes to religious freedom on campus. All right, Travis Weber, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always great to talk with Thank you. Thank you. And folks, uh, you can go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over and, uh, and file a comment. Now, it's, it's important not that the Biden administration is necessarily going to listen. Um, yeah, but here's something. It makes it more difficult for them when the overwhelming opposition is expressed. And it does something else. It shows to potential Republican administrations in the wings that this is an important issue that they'll address when they come into power, hopefully. All right, coming up, the Biden administration has turned the Department of Defense into an abortion travel agency. We talk with Alabama Senator Tommy Tumberville. Next, don't go away. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. 
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Monday. All right, when I was in the Marine Corps, it's been a few years back, our mission was very clear. Prepare and fight the nation's battles when needed. Our training was exclusively, exclusively on our military missions. I don't recall any other training that we had other than our primary MOS or maybe a secondary MOS, but never none of this diversity stuff, this woke agenda. I mean, this military is so focused on this woke agenda that it's crowding out the military's main mission, and that's dangerous. It's undermining national security. But now the Biden administration's taking it a step further. They're transforming military and VA facilities into abortion and, in some cases, gender reassignment clinics. Of course, this fits a pattern of the Biden administration presiding over You know, this is the most pro-abortion administration in our country's history. And the president is pushing all of this leftist agenda ideology. But this, this begs the question, why is our military focused on killing the unborn instead of defending the nation? And then to you and I, why does it matter? Well, we're going to talk about that. My next guest is, uh, is fighting this battle on Capitol Hill. Senator Tommy Tuberville. He is uh, fighting back against these policies. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Armed Services Committee and the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs. He represents the state of Alabama, and he's told the Department of Defense, look, I'm not going along with anything you're doing until you back off of targeting the unborn. Senator Tuberville, welcome to Washington Watch. Good to have you. Thank you, Tony. Glad to be here. Now, you have been extremely strong in objecting to this military policy, going to the Senate floor, bringing this up into committee hearings. Tell our viewers and our listeners why you are doing this and and what the response has been. Well, first of all, I'm pro-life. I believe in the sanctity of life. Uh, So do uh, a majority, a huge majority of the people in the state of Alabama. And uh, that's who I represent. But I got wind being on the Armed Services Committee, Tony, about last summer that our Department of Defense was deciding on their own that they were going to change the abortion policy within our military. Uh, Now, uh, that's done over here in Congress. We we make rules and laws here in Congress. Uh, This is not left up to secretaries or bureaucrats behind the scenes. 
Now, currently, uh, our current authority for the department limits abortions to cases of rape, incest, or pregnancies that threaten the life of the mother. Now, that's that's what we've had for years right. in the military. But this administration and this Department of Defense decided on their own that they're going to change this. Um, so we kept asking for a, a briefing on this. We couldn't get a briefing. Well, around Thanksgiving, finally, after pushing buttons and saying, listen, uh, you know, something's got to give here. We want a briefing. Well, they gave us the briefing. And it wasn't anything that what the people of Alabama and most of the people of this country believe in, in terms of what, number one, our military is for national security. We need to stay out of all these woke policies. And number two, we need to make sure that we do what's right for the people in this country, that elect their leaders and not have appointed leaders uh, make all these decisions. So uh, I heard that they were going to uh, start having pretty much abortions on demand uh, for military members. Uh, they were going to let their uh, dependents also have abortions. They were going to spend taxpayers' dollars for this transport, transportation of the of the military person or dependents. That's not what this that that's not what uh, is in the law in this country as we speak. So they're making up the law themselves. And so I sent a letter to Secretary Austin before Christmas. I said, "I hear what you're getting ready to do. If you do this, I'm going to put a hold on all you all the uh, civilian nominate nominees that come across uh, the Senate." Uh, and all the flagship officers, and you're going to have to go through regular order, which would take years to do what we can do here in a matter of hours if they do things right. So I did that. Uh, they, I think it was March the, no, February the 16th that they went ahead with this uh, new law uh, or new policy that they're going to change the abortion policy in the military, and uh, they changed it to 16th, and and uh, it went into effect March the 8th. And so I went into the, the whole business as a U.S. senator, which you can do, and meaning that basically you're going to have to go the long route if you're going to get anybody uh, that comes through nominations of a, of, a, of a ranking officer to move up. So they're, they're squirming right now, and uh, they're putting a lot of pressure on me, but uh, I hadn't heard from anybody yet, so we'll see what happens. Well, Senator, I want to talk about that process, but first I'm going to go back because in this um, process, you brought forward some information that even I, I wasn't aware of, honestly, and that was the the military, you know, they often, you know, the administration makes these wild claims, and they said that this was a threat to national security by not being able to have women get abortions. I, I, it, just women still can get abortions, um, biological women. And uh, the, I know the left sees things differently, but that's the reality. But you pressed in on that to find out that only 20 abortions are done on average per year. How can that be a threat to national security? Yeah. Well, first they said national security, Tony. And then they turned around and said, well, and it's also hurting our recruiting. I said, wait a minute. Uh, it hadn't hurt it before. And then all of a sudden, this poor woke military that you're building, you're blaming it on a few rules that we want to try to keep the same and you want to make different rules and you don't know whether they're going to help or not. But first of all, uh, we have had an abortion rule, as you just said, and we went by those three uh, uh, limits, uh, you know, rape, incest, and harm to the mom. Uh, and we had 20 or less 
over all these years, per year, of all these years, and there was no complaints, anything. There was everybody kind of understood what was going on, but these people are 100% for abortion everywhere. And since we're away now, they have looked for every avenue they possibly can to circumvent uh, Roe Wade. And so this is one of them. So, and so we did, we did a third party uh, study, Tony, that basically said we're going to go from 20 a year to over 4,000 a year. And so they're going to make a huge jump in what we're doing. Yeah, that's what I want to make very clear. This is not apples to apples saying, well, you know, they can't in, in certain states, they can't do abortions. This is this is, as you pointed out, creating the Department of Defense to become an abortion travel agency where they're going to be sending people all across the country and they're going to uh, expand tremendously the number of abortions that Department of Defense would provide for. And as you pointed out, that's against the law because it is the Congress that determines how the money is spent. They hold the purse strings. Uh, the purse strings. Well, you're exactly right. And in my letter, I just happened to put in there a statement that says, "Last time I looked, none of y'all in the Department of Defense ran for an office. Uh, you're, you weren't elected to Congress to change the rules, the policies, and the laws. That happens over here. And so uh, that's the reason I'm holding them up. Uh, you know, they can't do it." And they're saying that they can. We're saying that they can't. Uh, and so we're going to see who's going to win out on this. Uh, yet, you know, we I don't see anybody, you know, beating my door down yet to try to get this changed. But we've got 150 people now that have holes and on promotions right now, and it 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 adds a, a good number each week. So I'm sure I'll start hearing here pretty soon. But again. Uh, you know, let Congress do this. Yeah. If it's going to pass, let's go through the right proper channel. Let's just don't do it on our own. But that's what this administration tries to do anyway. So, Senator, I want to talk uh, uh, just for a moment so our, our folks, our viewers, our listeners kind of understand the process. You put a hold on this, meaning they have to go through the regular order, and that eats up a lot of time. So the uh, normally, if you have unanimous consent, everybody says, yeah, this is fine, and it just kind of goes on through. This makes, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this, this makes uh, or requires a vote of the body be held on each one of these. Is that correct? That's correct. What happens now is we'll get a list of from 10 to 300 uh, officers that need promotion, and they've been vetted. Uh, they've gone through the proper channels. We'll bring them to basically a armed services meeting, and it will go through the Armed Services Committee, and then go to the floor and it passes by unanimous consent. It's never any problem. But uh, now, uh, the one thing you have as a senator uh, that, that you can put a halt to anything is if you put a hold on any kind of nomination, they've got to go through regular order for each one. And it takes weeks and weeks to get a nomination and sometimes months for, say, an ambassador uh, somebody that's got to go through a regular nomination through the Senate, and there's got to be vetted, there's got to go through the committees. And so if they want to drag this out, uh, I'm willing to drag it out. I, you know, I hate it that people are going, going to be held up uh, because of uh, some uh, policy that the Department of Defense thinks that they've got priority over. But uh, good luck. Uh, it, you know, we're going, we're going to hold on to this as long as we possibly can to make sure we get some explanation, not saying it's not going to go through, right? but uh, they're going to have a tough time. So two, two more questions on this, and I want to get another, uh, another topic in. You mentioned pressure. 
Are you getting pressure from Republicans to go along with this? Uh, who's putting pressure on you? And how can our viewers and our listeners help? Because I know they want to support you in what you're doing. Yeah, you know, being on armed services, I talk to the generals uh, all the time, the, the, the combatant commanders from all over the world, and I've received calls from them and asking, is there anything that we can do? Not pressure, just coach, you know, here, here's our situation. Uh, you know, we got these people up. We understand what you're trying to do. We're not pushing you. We just want to, want to know how can we help. And they've been very good. And again, this all goes back to the Secretary of Defense and the people in, in the Pentagon of communication and going through proper order, proper channel. And I'm sure in the near future, we'll speak. Uh, if they've got a good explanation, uh, you know, those holes might come off, but uh, they better have a real good one. Because right now, you know, I'm standing up for the, for the American people and the process that we go through and why we're here. And why do we even have a Congress if we're gonna let uh, a, an administration just run roughshod over all the rules and, and policies that we have in place? Are your Republican colleagues stay, standing with you? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, I've had some of them come, come to me and ask me, you know, tell me what we're doing here. You know, what's your process, why? You know, uh, and after I get through telling them, I'm sure, hey, yeah, I'm with you, and uh, we've got several that have signed on with us. And again, well, I think we'll even have more, but it's just a tough situation. Yeah. Unfortunately, I hate going through this. I, I just don't believe that, you know. You, you uh, didn't pick it. You, you, you were no. not the one that chose to do this. You are responding to the overreach, the illegal, unconstitutional activity of the Biden administration. You, someone has to stand up to it. Yeah, well, we got a constitution in this country, and this administration continues to want to define that constitution the way they want it, and uh, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're we're going to go in proper order, and we're we're not going we're not going to uh, uh, you know tear our constitution up. We're going to make sure everybody goes by it. You know, I've had people like you know Dr. Ben Carson that signed on with us. Yeah. We've got a lot of conservative leaders that that believe in this, and so. We're doing the right thing. Yeah. And and again, I'm not doing this. I don't care if my name's ever brought up, but I'm fighting for, uh, you know, the the sanctity sanctity of life. And again, this would never have happened had Roe Wade not not been kicked back down to the to the states. This is just another form of fashion of how this administration can bypass, right? Uh, you know, the the Constitution and get to a point where they want to get to. And again, I do not believe taxpayer money should be used on abortions. And that's what this is basically turns into be, uh, turned up uh, uh, the whole definition. Well, we, we are grateful for you fighting this fight, but I, I wanna switch to another fight that you are fighting. You recently led 21 Republican colleagues in reintroducing the protection of women and girls in sports act to preserve title nine protections for female athletes. Tell us about this bill. Well, Tony, I coached for 35 years. Uh, I was actually, a young coach uh, getting in the profession when Title IX started is probably the best piece of legislation that's ever come out of this clown show up here. Uh, not, not many of them ever works, but this one worked. This gave the opportunity to young girls and, and women to have the same playing field, uh, same opportunities as boys and men, uh, if it was funded by, 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 uh, by the government. And so uh, over the years, it's, Tony, the, the increase in interest in women's sports has been phenomenal. And it's been so, so much of a success. But now, 
obviously with these transgender boys that are biological boys that want to be girls, they want to participate against girls. And that ain't going to happen as long as if, if I can breathe, I'm going to fight it. And it's, there's three things. It's not fair. It's not safe. Right. And it's dead wrong. And, uh, what's going to happen. It's going to tear down title nine, which we, right. again, like it's been the biggest, biggest, biggest success in, in my lifetime, given all these girls, the opportunity to learn so many more different things and look at the leaders we have now. And a lot of them have come from, from, from the sports world. Absolutely. So, so it's, it's, it, I'm, I get confused every day when I even think about this. Why would this administration even think about, it? Hey, I'm not against transgender. If you want to be transgender, fine. But you're not going to participate against uh, young girls that don't have the biological structure that you have and really have no chance to win. Now, they might be playing for second or third, right. but that's not what this is about. Right. It's about fairness. It's, and it's common sense. And this defies both fairness and common yeah. sense. Uh, Coach, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. And again, I want to thank you for your leadership on Capitol Hill on these important issues. Thank you, Tony. All right, folks, and uh, look, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Stand with the coach. Help him on these. Weigh in with your members of Congress. All right, we're out of time, but until next time, let me remind you of the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.